You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. A few days ago, I spoke with David Priest, a distinguished former CIA officer who served under administrations from both parties, who's a distinguished author today, but in a past life, he held one of the most sensitive positions of trust in the entire federal government. That's how David Priest got to know the real Robert Mueller. And that's what he told me about in this in-depth discussion about the Trump-Russia probe, his new book, due out in November, and why he signed a letter opposing the administration's latest attack on the American intelligence community. Our country is at a crossroads today, standing astride a major constitutional crisis as the president attacks law enforcement from the Oval Office and his latest attack is against the institutional memory of America's intel agencies, and it's a direct First Amendment violating retaliation against multiple high-ranking national security officials just for speaking their minds in public about Donald Trump's politics. These men and women served our country to protect the First Amendment's guarantee of free speech, many of them for decades. And the president's willful attack on their truth-telling is not only wrong, but it's telling itself. Here's my interview with David Priest. David Priest, welcome to the Dworkin Report. How are you today? I am tired, but I'm doing well. How are you? We are working at a constant. I know you've been very busy as of late, yeah? It has been busy, uh, and I'm sure that's something we'll talk about in the next few minutes. Let's get into it. Uh, can you please tell our listening audience a little bit about your professional background and what motivated you to serve our country? Oh, well, sure. Well, I joined the CIA back about 20 years ago and was working as primarily an analyst and eventually became a manager, eventually became a daily intelligence briefer, so just some of the jobs you can have um, at the agency. Mm-hmm. And then I left, tried some other things, have been working in other jobs, and uh, lately have been a writer and a speaker. But once you're concerned about national security at that level and you've invested that much in it, it's hard to step away and not care when the norms and institutions of national security are under threat. Right. And you just signed a letter. Can you, what can you tell our listening audience about the letter you signed in protest of President Trump's obviously biased decision to use top secret clearances as a political tool? Yeah, what happened is the president announced his revocation of John Brennan's clearance, and almost immediately thereafter, in record time, there was a joint statement issued by virtually all of the former directors and deputy directors of the CIA, along with a former director of national intelligence. Uh, The next day, another former, uh, Jim Woolsey, issued a statement of his own, and a couple of others signed on who had not been able to be reached that day. But that very same day, and now we're talking about last Friday, uh, a number of us other former CIA officers who were not at that director and deputy director level uh, also felt strongly about this. And the organizers contacted us and said, are are you interested in signing on to a very similar statement opposing the weaponization of security clearances, bringing politics into what has previously been a very apolitical, objective, nonpartisan process? And then we all said yes. And within hours, a statement was put out with 60 names on it. And that's that's a virtual who's who of CIA uh, leadership and working level officers uh, of note from the last 20 years. It's a remarkable list. So that went out on Friday night. 
to show support, not necessarily for John Brennan's exact words or the, the tone with which he delivers them. There's a lot of disagreement about that, but absolutely defending his right to say them and to not have political speech attacked in this way by the abusive power of the president. Uh, then what happened is so many people reached out saying, me too, me too, me too, that another list was put together. And you may have seen this drop, uh, I believe it was on Sunday morning okay. or Monday morning. No, it was on Monday morning yeah, yes. that over 175 other national security officials from across the intelligence and national security communities all signing on to that state, same statement saying, we also agree that uh, the politicization of national security is a is a step too far. Are you surprised that he uh, took this action? I am not surprised. I'm, I, I was surprised when it happened. Right. Because it appears, and we don't know, but from the limited reporting we have, it appears that it was held in order to come out when they wanted to change the narrative away from something less favorable. Well, the thing that was in the headlines was Omarosa and the supposed existence of a tape where the now president would use the N-word. Well, I don't think anybody is going to have their mind changed by hearing an audio tape of him using that word. Most people assume he has said it, and it's not going to make people say, okay, that's the final straw. Mm -hmm. People are already there, and it's not going to convince the diehard supporters. So, to change the narrative from that, which was a focus on Omarosa, who is not a sympathetic character herself, to change that to an attack on the national security community is a very odd way to change the narrative. So, yeah, the timing surprised me. The action didn't because the, the president and I saw Ben Shapiro had put this out there. The president has found things like the pardon power and the control over security clearances and he's playing them the same way he played things on his reality TV show, The Apprentice. Right. He's, he's, he's using those as rewards and punishments. Well, things are a little bit different, sir, when you're the president, because you may have the power to do that. The Constitution gives you the power to pardon. But that doesn't mean it can't be used corruptly. That doesn't mean it can't be an abuse of power, which, at least in the Nixon case, was an article of impeachment. You obviously have a storied past, but I, I did want to ask you about one uh, year of your life that you spent with Mr. Robert Mueller. Um, what was it like briefing him on a daily basis? I, I know his remoteness during this investigation has sparked a lot of like mythologizing, but can you tell us what kind of guy he is? It was an intense experience, and I'll give you just the briefest of background on why I spent uh, a lot of quality time with him. Every morning, I was his daily intelligence briefer for a little more than a year, which meant that every morning to start the day, I would go to visit him and the attorney general of the United States uh, most of the time at the same time. And I would take them the president's daily brief, the highest level intelligence document we have and other intelligence relevant to his job. Also, every day after I would brief him and the attorney general. As soon as my briefing ended, they would go up Pennsylvania Avenue to meet with the president right after he got his president's daily brief session. So I had a dual role. One job was to brief them on the intelligence that they needed to know from overnight to do their job that day related to the foreign situation that CIA covers. And then I had to prep them for what the president was likely to ask them or require of them based on what he saw in the very same briefing materials. So back in those days, I would go and brief them. 
And what I found from director Muller was a very intense man. He was focused. He was just voracious in wanting to absorb intelligence information. I discovered that he had a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And when my presentation was casually offering some kind of conclusion or judgment that was lacking robust logic or sourcing, he would routinely nail me down on it, asking about the, the substantiation of the argumentation until either I would have to search for it and find the answer, or I would have to say, I'm going to have to get back to you tomorrow after I talk to the experts on this. Sometimes I thought he was asking a lot of questions for the sake of asking questions. And either later in the line of questioning or within a few days when I realized something else that was going on at the bureau, I realized he never sent me down rabbit holes for the joy of doing so. It was always for a purpose. Usually it helped him bring into focus one of those pictures that we were all puzzling over in the wake of 9-11. So in summary, he was a very intense man. He had an, a, a great skill, probably the best I've ever worked with, to both process tactical information and the strategic picture at the same time. He would chase down facts. He would chase down details. But the whole time, he was keeping the bigger picture in mind. And that was something that was quite impressive. This episode of the Twerking Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit dwarkenreport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. David Priest co-authored a book with former President George H.W. Bush and has a new book coming out this November, his first solo effort entitled How to Get Rid of a President, where he outlines the history of movements to remove an American chief executive and postulates that the way that presidents are removed teaches us much more about our political order. Someone who knows presidents really has the most realistic idea about this situation, the how and the why. So that's why I asked his opinion about Mueller's investigation into Russia's attack on America's elections and why you need to listen closely, because David Priest knows what he's talking about today, having spent so many years on the inside, where the people who protect this country used to spend their time listening closely to David Priest. Here's the second half of my interview with David Priest. And what are your thoughts about the integrity of Special Counsel Mueller's probe now into Russia's attack on our country's elections? Yeah, I don't know who we would entrust more as the leader of such an investigation. I mean, th this is the man that President Bush turned to to lead the FBI, and President Obama wanted to keep him there. So it goes across party lines. This is the man the NFL went to to research, I think, the Ray Rice case. And the NFL wanted and needed someone with the utmost integrity to do it. The other side of it is, despite the repeated talking points that aren't sticking because there's no truth to them about Mueller being conflicted or Mueller being a partisan, it ain't there. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, when I was briefing him, I knew nothing about his political views. It never came up. It never affected his work. And we spent a lot of quality time together those mornings. It never came up. Only later did I learn that he was a registered Republican. So in terms of integrity, I got no problem with, with that at all. It also makes me feel more confident 
that he has a clear disdain for unnecessary publicity. That showed when I was briefing him, there were plenty of opportunities for him to take something that I was aware of in those morning briefings and pat himself or the bureau on the back publicly. And I never once saw him do that in the time that I was working with him. I never saw him take something and use it publicly in a way to self-aggrandize. The fact that the special counsel's office has remained so quiet, doesn't comment on anything, no leaks coming out of there, I think both serves him well and gives us faith in the integrity of that process. And do you, uh, what do you think the, the outcome, I know you don't want to guess uh, probably, <laughs> but what do you think the, the, uh, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate outcome would be of his probe? It's really hard to say for the, the reason I just mentioned, which is we, we don't know what we don't know. We have been continually surprised, Scott, when we get these indictments dropped. Right. And we've been continually surprised. For example, it was news over the weekend, I think, that Don McGahn spent some 30 hours talking to the special counsel. Mm -hmm. It was no surprise that he had talked to them, but we had not had a sense that it took that long to go through all the things they wanted to talk to him about. Right. So to me... It would not surprise me if next week the entire investigation wraps up. Now, that would contradict some things we've seen about September, but we have been surprised so often it might be that they have everything together. It also wouldn't surprise me if it takes a year because we know so little we should have very little confidence about what's going on in there. But I am confident that there is something in there beyond what we know, because remember, the stuff that has come out publicly tends to be on the Russian side, which is the indictments that have been dropped already, mm -hmm. or on the things that people who have leaked to the press after speaking have said that they've talked about. But what we haven't seen a lot of information about is the information that only the special counsel through his investigations has access to. That's IRS records. That's bank transaction records obtained through the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network or FinCEN, a division of Treasury. The other intelligence that they're using to build this picture we have no sense of that. And it stands to reason that there is something there that is driving all of this just in the same way that that kind of information drove the Russian indictments a few months ago. Do you personally believe that Trump uh, colluded, conspired or worked with or helped the Russians attack America? Yeah, I don't I don't use the word colluded because uh, the lawyers tell me that it has no specific meaning and I'm not even sure that it has value in our language anymore, the way it's been thrown around. Mm -hmm. Conspiracy is the real issue is, was there foreknowledge of something that was done to circumvent campaign finance laws, or other elements of the US code. And I think it's more likely than not that there was that there was some kind of conspiracy by someone whether it was the president himself, or someone close to him such as Don Jr. or someone else in the, the campaign at a high level. I the the evidence that is already in our sight suggests that. Now, conspiracy can be easy to prove when you have the right documentation and the right admissions from people. I think having Rick Gates testify against Paul Manafort was very strong for conspiring to avoid tax and, and other issues. I don't know what they have yet here. I, I don't know what case they've built up to show that, whether it's the Trump Tower meeting or other aspects. But the information that's already out there at least suggests that it's likely that there was some sense of conspiracy here. The timing is at least coincidental. And in my experience, whenever there's a coincidence, you research the hell out of it, you find the facts, and often you find that there's a reason behind a coincidence. Can he be trusted? 
depends on what you mean. Um, I, I think based on many of his former advisors who have left the administration and come out, I mean, if Omarosa was taping him or his <laughs> other officers in the White House, trust is not a value that is high in this White House. I find it hard to trust where he's going to go from one day to the next when, for example, just last week, Sarah Huckabee Sanders goes out and says, John Brennan lost his security clearance because of erratic behavior. The things he's saying, the way he's saying it, you know, that's just wrong. And so we could pull his clearance. And then Trump, a few hours later, is interviewing with The Wall Street Journal and says, no, it's about the rigged Russia witch hunt. Well, I don't know if the press secretary to the president can't trust the president's word because he's going to come out later and undermine it. I don't know how the rest of us can trust his word. Right. It's it's tough. Uh, and you have an upcoming book coming out. Can you, can you tell me about that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, the first book that I wrote was the history of these intelligence briefings that we talked about. And it, it wasn't a memoir. It was a no kidding history. I interviewed all of the living presidents and vice presidents and CIA directors to to get the history of the president's daily brief. And what I found in, when I was out there talking about it is people weren't just interested in the intelligence stories, although that was fun. Going around the country, I was amazed how many people are just fascinated by the presidency and the history of the most powerful office in the world. And so when I finished that book, I thought, you know what, I need to learn more about the presidents because I know modern presidents pretty well, especially as it relates to intelligence and national security. But I don't know my American history well enough to understand when people are bringing up Andrew Johnson's impeachment. You know, that's relevant to today's affairs, but I, I don't, just don't know it. So I researched the hell out of it and found out, you know what, Americans have done a pretty good job of removing unfit, unpopular or unable presidents through a variety of means over the years, some political, some constitutional, some legal. And so I decided to write the book on it. So it's called How to Get Rid of a President, History's Guide to Removing Unpopular, Unable and Unfit Chief Executives. And that drops one week after the election in November, when a whole lot of things will become more clear. And that sounds good. It sounds like a, a great reading, especially if uh, Democrats take back the House or the Senate, um, which, you know, I'm always a skeptic of. Uh, I've been in this business for way too long. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, David Priest, I appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you for your patriotism. Thank you for, for, your, for your service to this country and for working so hard for the security and safety of us uh, here at America, here in America, I guess, um, at a constant for, you know, decades now. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate everything you've done speaking out against this administration and what they're doing. Well, Scott, I appreciate that. But I'll end with a word saying, uh, don't thank me. Save your thanks for the currently serving officers in intelligence and law enforcement who aren't speaking out, who are putting their heads down, doing the work that needs to be done to protect this country, despite the president. They're the ones who should be getting a big pat on the back when this is all over. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. Thanks again to Patriot David Priest for coming on the show. I appreciate his efforts and the work for this country. Thanks again to Grant Stern, my producer. Hardest working producer in podcasting. I'll tell you that. We're going to be coming out with much more new content on a daily basis. That's the new normal. Check out DworkingReport.com. See how you can help. Check out our links. See the news that we've got there. Thanks again for listening. Onward!